say, I can't really imagine uh, my child leaving me in the restaurant to eat with another family. I think that's a pretty good story. So good morning. I'm, I just feel so honored to be here with you today. I love this church. Um, my first encounter with Grace Marietta, however, was not in this beautiful building, but rather in this. Ta-da, there's a slide. There it is. All right. Um, this is my first encounter with Grace Marietta, was in this beautiful home. I drove up um, with several other people from Snellville, and the intention was that the adults of the church, of the house church that had been meeting, were going to go downstairs in the basement and pray while the kids were upstairs. So we were in the basement, and we were praying, and we were asking God, what do you want us to know what is your heart for Grace Marietta? What is it that you want us to hear from you? So all these adults were praying, were listening. You know what we heard? Like elephants. <laughs> there was like thunder above us, just boom, 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 boom. It was just crazy. It was like, oh my word, are we going to like all die here in the basement? The kids were crazy. It was nuts. They were just running around. And you know what? That was our answer. That right there was our answer. Sometimes God speaks in a still, small voice, and sometimes he speaks with kids right above your head. So from the very beginning, the heart of this church has been for the next generation. And a couple months later, there was a team from Snellville who came here to kind of just get the building ready, get some space ready, and we were going to have a vacation Bible school here because we just wanted the community to know that Grace Marietta was here, we cared about kids, we wanted to reach out. And during that summer, um, I had several interns at Grace Snellville, and one of them lived in my basement. Beautiful, beautiful young lady. Um, and so every time I came to Grace Marietta, she came to Grace Marietta. So we, she was with me the whole summer, came and came and came. At the end of her internship, she said, if you ever, ever have an opening at the Grace Family of Churches, would you please consider hiring me? I'm like, I would hire you in a New York second. She just had to finish some school. Um, but then the time came when we did need to hire a children's director. And the other thing that she said was, if it could be in Marietta times 10. And I was like, okay, I am tucking that away. Well, you guys know our beautiful Meredith Bennett. And she is the intern that lived in my basement. And so um, I know she is, she's just outstanding. It's just such, um, and you know, we had Meredith Dixon to start. So I don't know if your name is Meredith. I just, <laughs> I actually have a Meredith that works with me in Snellville. And she's just like the other Meredith. So I think there must be an anointing over that name or something. But um, I really am just privileged and honored to stand here and talk to you today about God's heart for kids. So if you would turn in your Bibles, um, let's look in Mark chapter 6. Honestly, the story that we're going to read appears in all four Gospels. And all week long, I was just like, should we read out of Matthew? Should we read out of Mark? Should we read out of Luke, John? I couldn't decide. This morning at 8 o'clock, I decided we're going to read out of Mark. So we can read out of all of them. But <clears throat> this is a really familiar story. And we'll start in verse 30. 
Jesus said, come off by yourselves. Let's take a break and get a little rest. For there was constant coming and going. The disciples didn't even have time to eat. So they got in the boat and went off to a remote place by themselves. Someone saw them going and word got around. From the surrounding towns, people went out on foot, running, and got there ahead of them. When Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd. At the sight of them, his heart broke. Like sheep with no shepherd they were, he went right to work teaching them. When the disciples had thought he'd gone on long enough, it was now quite late in the day, they said, we're out a long way in the country and it's very late. Send these folks off so they can get some supper. Jesus said, you do it. You fix supper for them. They replied, are you serious? You want us to go spend a fortune on food for their supper? But he was quite serious. How many loaves of bread do you have? Take an inventory. Well, that didn't take long. Five, they said, plus two fish. Jesus got them all to sit down in groups of 50 or 100. They looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out on the green grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, and gave bread to the disciples, and the disciples, in turn, gave it to the people. He did the same with the fish. They ate their fill. The disciples gathered 12 baskets of leftovers, and more than 5,000 were at the supper. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Jesus was teaching the crowds, and they were getting hungry, maybe even hangry. Have y'all ever been hangry? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, it's a mixture of hungry. When you get so hungry, you almost get angry. Just kind of that, like, I've got to eat food. All right, that's what hangry is. So you know the story. Jesus asked his friends, his disciples, to feed the people. Now, let's just put ourselves in their shoes for a minute. What if right now Jesus came to any one of you and said, I want you to feed everyone in this room right now? What's your name? Lauren, Lauren, we, I want you to feed everybody in this room right now. Okay, Lauren, you look like you have a purse there. Right? <laughs> I don't know what you have in that purse. Maybe some gum, maybe some mints. I'm guessing you don't have enough food for everybody here, right? So I think um, probably this was an impossible request then and likely an impossible request for any of us. Um, they actually, Jesus asked them to do something they could not do. Can anybody relate to that? Jesus asked them to do something they couldn't do. But it was about this time that Andrew discovered a little boy who had some bread and some fish. This is what I love about the story is this little guy didn't, like, analyze the cost. He didn't, like, think, oh, my goodness, if I give this away. No, he just, he didn't have much, but what he had, he willingly shared. And in Matthew's account, um, when Jesus said, uh, bring, bring the fish to me, it, he said that God gave thanks. Uh, Jesus gave thanks. He was grateful, and he was thankful for what he had to give. And oftentimes in the scripture, we're going to see that when we have a thankful heart, that is what precedes the miracle. There is something about having a grateful heart that God really, really loves. And in this culture that we live in, where everybody wants more and better and updated and upgraded and all of that, 
I think there's something to be said about being thankful for whatever it is that we already have. And then um, he broke the loaves and, um, and he gave it to the disciples. I don't know if you um, listen to house fires, but Kirby has this song. It's called I'll Give Thanks. It's been in my head. In fact, it's been in my head so much that I can hardly get it out of my head, which that's how you know it's a good song, right? But I love this line. When I don't have enough, he's more than enough, and he knows what I need. And I think that when we have little and we're thankful, that is oftentimes when we see God multiply. The other thing I like about this story is Jesus gave the food to his disciples first, and then they gave it to other people. So I feel like this can be a good picture for us as believers that sometimes God gives to us, not to give it to us, but to give it through us, all right? So sometimes God gives to us so he can give through us. So through us, kids can go to camp. Through us, kids can hear about God's love for them. Through us, kids who are without a home can be taken into your home. Through us, what God gives to us, he can give through us. And then they all ate. Everybody, even the disciples, they were all satisfied. And the cool part is the disciples who started with absolutely nothing wound up with an entire basket of leftovers. So I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I have not been like this little boy. There have been times in my life that I have had something to share, and I didn't. There have been times where I have had something to give, and I chose not to. And my wrong thinking was, if I give this, then I won't have it for me or my family. Um, It's like a scarcity mindset, right? I'm only thinking about what I have. It's not very much. If I give it away, I won't have anything. The other part of of my fear-based thinking is sometimes what I have doesn't seem really that great. Like, who would want it? Yeah, I have a few loaves of bread or a few peanut butter sandwiches or a few whatever. Who would want that? But there are times in my life when I completely forget that our God is the God of multiplication. He takes little and he makes much. He takes a boy's lunch and he feeds thousands of people. He takes the little that you and I have to offer and he does miracles with it. And this is what he's asking us to do, to give what we have. And then the the cool part is, and there's leftovers. Like how amazing is our God? He not only meets the need of everyone else, he meets our need and leftovers. So I think that's so cool. I think a lot of it, Um, about it as I work with kids, because the Bible is clear in our call in reaching the next generation. In Psalm 78, 6 and 7, it says, so the next generation will know, even the children not yet born. I saw some mamas come in here with beautiful rounded bellies. Even your children who aren't born 
God wants them to know his love. So that in turn, those children, those children that were over our head um, that night we met to pray, and those children that are downstairs right now, that even their children, that those children will tell their children. So every generation will set its hope anew in God. We reach back. We, it doesn't really matter if, if we're kid people or not, because we all have the responsibility to do something to reach the next generation, even if you only have a little bit, if you, know, if you only have a little bit of time, a little bit of resource, a little bit of energy, whatever. Remember that our God multiplies. He can do much with just a little bit. So there's um, a family at my church in Snellville, and they, what they don't have is time. They run their own business, and they have zero time. It's all they can do to keep their family and their marriage. I mean, they're just, they're, their time is, is a precious commodity. But one day, uh, I was at a birthday party with her, and she said, you know what? We have no time to invest in the next generation. But God has given our business an amazing year. And I would like to give money to help you buy Bibles for all the kids who come to the after-school club. So this was really amazing because we were able to buy a thousand Bibles to give to kids because of the generosity of, of, this, of this woman. She didn't have everything, but what she had, she freely gave, and God multiplied it. And then we have an, another lady who um, is elderly, and she um, is limited in a lot of resources, and she can't do a lot either. But she said, this is what I can do. I can bake. And every week, when you guys go into those schools, and you go to teach kids the Bible, I am going to make you something to take to the office staff of the school. Because we all know that lady at the front desk, she's the one running the school, right? <laughs> so you take something to that sweet lady at the front desk, and, and everything's going to go well. That's what she does. Both are highly valued. I just heard Tater talk about a reach board in the back of the church and some kids who need to be scholarshiped for camp. Um, I've been in children's ministry for many years. I'm, I'm old. I'm the oldest, I'm the, I'm the longest staff member at Grace. So I've been at camp. I, I see my, my beautiful daughter, Ashley, is here. She's in her 20s now. But literally, Doug and I have been taking kids to camp from the time we were married. When she was an infant, we would take her pack and play. We, we always have been, been at camp. And I have seen... God do amazing things in the hearts and lives of students and kids at camp. There's just something about getting away. So I really want to say, if you can help in any way with that reach board, it would be so great. It's an eternal investment. There's a way for all of us to be involved in this. Jesus valued children. Um, you know the story in Matthew 18, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do you guys... Ever, are you ever around somebody who wants to be the greatest? <laughs> you have somebody like that in your life. <laughs> All right, so I think Jesus probably had several people like that in his life where, you know, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest in them. And Jesus called a little child to him and he placed the child among them. 
And he said, unless you change and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. So I loved seeing all those kids line up there and all those kids workers. And, you know, and I'm thinking about like Carolyn Byers. You know, I've known Carolyn for 20-something years. And she's always been downstairs with the kids, you know. And that song we just sang, does God see when I'm serving? Does he, does he notice me? I think there's a special place for people like Carolyn, don't you? Who are just always there, faithful with the kids. They welcome these kids in Jesus' name. And because Jesus values children, so should we. And I think as adults, we kind of have two roles when it comes to kids, right? We are guardians, and we're gardeners. So as guardians, our job is to keep kids safe. And in keeping them safe, we want them to feel safe. You know, this world is not a friend to kids. It is not a friend to kids. I just feel like there are so many ways that our kids can just get sucked into a very, very dark path. I was uh, just perusing the news the other day, and I saw this woman at Hartsfield-Jackson Airport trying to take a kid right out of his mother. I mean, the mother was pushing a stroller, and this woman tried to, tried to take the stroller away right there in the middle of the airport. And I thought, what a, what a brazen, bold attempt to take that woman's child away. But how subtle are the cartoons and the video games and things that are coming after our kids? A lot of our kids, you might think they are safe, but they might not feel safe. It's our job to make kids feel safe so that they are. You know what? We as grown-ups have to take time to deal with maybe some of our own wounds and things that have happened in our past because we want to give life and healing and love and joy to our kids. And we know that we can't give what we don't have. So we want to give our kids that safety. We will be there for them. We want to be that place for them. As, that's as guardians. As gardeners, this is the fun part, we get to cultivate their beautiful hearts. Uh, we get to live in God's love. We know that kids can hear from God, and we want to empower them to listen to what God says and do what he says right now as kids. We don't want to tell our kids, well, when you're a grown-up, you can. No, they can be used by God right now. God's love and his power can be seen through kids at any age. If you doubt that, go work in the nursery some Sunday and look at the face of a beautiful baby. You'll just see so much of God's love right there. We want to give space and time and resources for the next generation. So here's, here's what I always say about working with kids. When you put money in the bank, if you're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm trying to teach my high schoolers right now about saving money. It's, it's, so far, they're not too enthusiastic about it. But, you know, you put a little bit in the bank, a little bit more in the bank, a little bit more, and then it, it accumulates. It's an investment. Well, it's a lot like working with kids. 
You know, you don't always see a whole lot at the beginning. But as time goes on, you've laid that foundation and you've trained your children so that when they're old, they will always remember. The famous evangelist D.L. Moody said if he could relive his entire life again, he would invest it all in children because they are the future. No one ever gets to the end of their life and says, I, I spent way too much time with my kids. No one says that. Everyone says they wish they had spent more. We go where kids are. We follow God's example and Christ who loved us and he gave himself up for us. It's an incarnational living. The Bible says if you want to find your life, you need to give it away. Matthew 10:39 says, if your first concern is to look after yourself, you will never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to God, you will find both God and yourself. So this has to do with more of a there you are mentality than a here I am mentality. All right, so we are interested in what they're interested in. We go to where they are. There are lots and lots of people who will never set foot in this church or any church. There are parents who won't let their kids come to church, but you guess what? You, all, you can take the good news of God's love right where they are. This past year and, um, at Grace Snellville, our church had 15 after-school Bible clubs where we would go into the public schools, and after school, we would open the Bible, pray, teach them scripture, praise and worship, small groups, everything, just like you guys do here at church every Sunday. We saw 178 kids come to faith. We had over 1,000 kids coming, hundreds of volunteers. God has put that fire in us, and we want to reach the next generation. There are 14,000 kids in foster care in the state of Georgia alone. There, there, uh, this past week, if you saw the news, there was a little baby girl who was discovered in a trash bag. She was named India. And DFAC said there were 1,000 people who wrote and volunteered to adopt her, to be her forever family. But do you know... There are 14,000 Indias that maybe aren't in a physical trash bag, but who are in brokenness, who are in loneliness, who are in pain, who need a godly home. We know that God's word is powerful and it can change lives. And we want, we expect miracles, right? We expect miracles. I can think about times when Things have gone not so great in our home, and we've prayed, and we have seen God move. One time, my kids, when my kids were little, we had this, um, I don't think it was a parakeet. It might have been a cockatiel. Was it a cockatiel, Ashley, that got loose? I think it was. Anyways, um, my kids had it in the basement, and we left the garage door open. They would let it fly around. And this, I know. Anyways, <laughs> no wonder the cockatiel got loose. And uh, it was really, really sad because my kids just really, really love their birds. And so, um, you know, we began to pray, God, please let us find our bird. But, you know, 
You know how it goes, like you're praying, but you're kind of thinking, is this really going to happen or not? Well, like two weeks later, um, my oldest son, Douglas, was at school. Ashley wasn't quite old enough. We were driving around the neighborhood, come back from Kroger or somewhere, and we saw a sign, found bird. I was like, what? <laughs> I called this lady, and sure enough, it was our cockatiel. So we, we got our cockatiel, brought it home, and then we took off and went to school, and we met Douglas for lunch. We was like, guess what? We, should, we brought the sign. Look what we found. And it was our, you know, like for a kid, I think he was in kindergarten or first grade. That is like such a miracle, you know, for him. Like how, two weeks later, who could believe we'd find a bird? Um, this past spring break, we were driving to Florida. Um, oh, I should have told you. Um, so my husband and I, are, we've been married for, I should know this, like right off the top of my head. I think we're coming up on 33 years. And so we, are, we have birth children, two birth children that are grown and married. We also have um, a whole set of um, foster children that we love and care for, and um, we're moving toward adoption with them too. So we just have a very, very big family. And um, so whenever we go somewhere, we have to go in two cars, even coming to church. Here, we had to come in two cars. So anyways, I had one car and uh, was one group of kids, and we were heading to Florida. And I don't know why, I just wasn't paying attention to my gas gauge. And so we're driving, and we enter this place in Florida, the National Forest, where, like, there's not any cell signal. It's beautiful. There's trees everywhere. But I looked down, and it was like, whoa, we were really, really, really low on fuel. And I'm just beating myself up, like, really? You have five kids in the car. Doug's not even here with you. It's not even like you can call anyone. What were you thinking? Do you guys ever self-beat up? Like, okay. So I was kind of doing that, and I was like, that's wrong thinking. Stop. You belong to God. These kids belong to God. Stop and pray. So I turned off the movie, and I said, guys, we have a little bit of a situation <laughs> We need to be praying. So we stopped and we prayed and we asked God, please make our gas go further. Well, it wasn't but five or ten minutes in the middle of that forest. I kid you not, we saw a sign for a gas station. Like, what? In the middle of this? So, of course, we pulled off and got to fuel. But our, my kids are like, that's just so great how God, you know, provided that just for us. And um, I don't know if the gas station is still there or not, but... I just know that, that God does miracles for us and that he is always caring for us. And I just want to share this with you because I feel like there's such an urgency. You know, our kids, they only get one childhood. So, you know, you may think, well, I don't have a lot to give right now. I don't have a lot of time. I can't really invest because of this. But guess what? This child is only going to be nine years old one time or whatever. So you've got, to just, you've got to make time for these things. And I have this um, app on my phone, and every week it tells me how much time I was on my phone. And some weeks when I get that, it's like, ugh, that is disturbing. How in the world could I have been on my phone three hours a day? Like, what was I, what? How could I, that's not possible. But that's what it said. Wow, and I think I don't have time, but 
Apparently, I had time to do something else. So um, I know that reaching the next generation requires sacrifice. But that sacrifice is so well worth it. The bottom line is we can say we're a church on mission. We can say that we're discipling the next generation. But if we're not doing it, those are just words. We've got to actually do it. We open the Bible. We teach it. We pray. We're with kids. We're on the floor with them. We're at the ball field with them. We're, we're doing what they need us to do for them. There's a story um, about a desert in Chile. It's called the Atacama Desert. It's actually known as one of the driest places on earth. But a few um, years ago, the desert experienced 14 years worth of rain in one day. That might sound like a lot. But it was actually less than one inch of rain. It was barely enough to make the ground wet. Now, imagine those drops of rain hitting that dry, hard, cracked ground. Most people didn't think it would make any difference. But it did. A little while later, the desert ex produced an explosion of color. The seeds had been there all the time. They were just waiting for a little bit of water. Listen, you might not think you have a whole lot to give. You might just have a few drops of water. But in the heart of a child, there is a seed that is waiting to spring forth into life. And you could be the one to make that difference. Right down the street from this beautiful church is a huge high school, Wheeler High School. 2,165 students at that school. Do you think that God has people at that school that might need to know about God's love? Do you think there could be policemen, lawyers, doctors, plumbers, every profession, teachers, down there, potentially? Imagine what their life could be like if someone like you stepped in and told them about God's love and changed the trajectory not only of their life, but for future generations. This is the power of the gospel. And this is what Jesus has called us to do. God, please help us. Help us be like the little boy who just freely shares, freely gives. Help us to give what little we have and then stand back and watch you do miracles. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.